Again, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And as you know, we are starting a new series. We are going to go through the book of 1 Samuel. And one of the mistakes that I want to uh, correct that normally happens is to believe that the book of 1 Samuel has nothing to do with us because that's the Old Testament and that's for the Jews. No, it's not. It's for us. Uh, When we read the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, we are reading the history of our family. We are reading the history of those who came before us and uh, that were sustained by God in many ways. So uh, remember that through the veins of those people that we are reading about runs the power of the Holy Spirit just as it runs through you and you are united to them as you are part of God's church and his people just as well as they were uh, in those times. So with that in mind, then, please stand to hear the reading of God's holy and inspired word in, uh, coming from the book of 1 Samuel. And this is God's word. There was a certain man of Ramathayim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, excuse me, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephratite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Ophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah and his wife and all her son, uh, his wife, excuse me, and all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her, her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in the spirit. I have, a, I have drunk neither wine nor a strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great, great anxiety and vexation. 
Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and, and the God of Israel grant your, your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Dear congregation of the Lord, uh, the book of Samuel, what today we have divided in two books, actually, first and second Samuel, continues with this idea of the covenant promises of God to his people, not only to give land to Israel, but the primal promise made back in Genesis of a snake crusher that is to come. And the book of Judges has already uh, proven for the Israelites in the last 300 years that we need a new figure like Joshua, one that can lead Israel as a whole, a leader that can shepherd God's people's hearts by bringing them to the Lord into his presence. And so the book of Samuel shows us how God's promises continue advancing through the Israelite nation. Will the snake crusher come at this period of time? And from where? And from whom? Uh, will Israel become a light and blessing to the nations, so the nations too may come and worship the Lord? Will Israel become the new garden where God dwells with his people? See, all of those questions are in the background of the Israelite mind. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe not a good idea to do barbecue yesterday. And, and yet, it is surprising that the first thing that we see in this story is the tragic story of a barren woman. That is why the theme for this morning is barren woman, good God. <coughs> barren woman, good God. And we will explore this theme under three headings. First, a family portrait. Second, a desperate prayer. And finally, third, a trusting heart. So a family portrait a desperate prayer, and a trusting heart. Let us open the first part with a family portrait. And I want you to know, to look, excuse me, to verse 1 once again. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuv, and Ephratite. Now, uh, here's what I want you to see, boys and girls. It seems that there is an echo here in the text, an echo of the story of creation and of the story of the creation of the Garden of Eden. How do you know that? Well, because of the names in the narrative. Uh, the, the names and the places, the names of the places, are designed to, to sound as if we were reading Genesis 1 back again in the first book of the Bible. Ramai, excuse me, Ramathayim Zophim means the two mountains that overflow with honey. The two mountains that overflow with honey. Genesis tells us about the garden who is over a mountain. Then the names of the people are also interesting. If we translate the names, then the, the text will read as follows. Uh, there was a man whose name was God Creates, who is the son of the Beloved who is the son of God is the same, who is the son of emptiness, who is the son of the one who overflows with honey. 
So if we put all of these ideas together, then we will start making sense of what is being said here. Because just as in Genesis, the eternal God, who is always the same, creates everything out of nothing and places his beloved image bearer in the garden, that is Adam, in a place where he receives everything in overflowing abundance, in the same way, verse 1 here in the first book of Samuel. It seems that the names and this verse is retelling the same story through the names of these people and the place that we are seeing here. In other words, it seems that the sacred author wants us to understand that Elkanah not only is an important character and person who lives in a good place and has a good inheritance and a lot of money, but also that he has been so blessed by God that all that he has resembles, looks similar to the blessedness of the creation and the Garden of Eden. Sounds like a portrait of perfection, in other words. But we don't have to go too far in order to see that despite this apparent perfection, this apparent image, this is not the Garden of Eden, is it not? Look at verse 2. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So right in, the, in verse 2, the image of perfection is immediately tainted by the work of the serpent, by the work of sin. Elkanah has two wives. Polygamy, in other words, is sin, if you didn't know that. Uh, and and it, make, it makes feel its effect in a, different, uh, in a different picture. This seemingly perfect picture is tainted by the sin of polygamy. And not only that, there is also brokenness in this picture. His first wife's name, Hannah, means grace. Yet as you can hear, grace seems to have been denied to her because she cannot have children. She's a social outcast in the Israelite society because in those days and in those times and in those societies, to not have children was regarded as you are cursed by the Lord. Not blessed by the Lord, but cursed by the Lord. Barrenness, brokenness, graceless. And to make things worse, there is also a strife and in-your-face kind of insult and opprobrium against Hannah. Because out of desperation, trying to secure an heir for himself, Elkanah has found another wife. And her mere existence is a thorn in the flesh for Hannah. Her name, Penina. It means coral of pearls. And that is a very fitting name for her, isn't it? Because as the second wife, she has brought many, many pearls, many children to Elkanah. See, Poor Hannah. She has to see others being blessed while she remains broken and barren. And poor Penina, because she's not loved. The only reason she's in the picture is because she can give birth to children. Could it be, congregation, that we can identify ourselves with this picture? After all, we are not people who have it all together, are we? Even what we deem to be our best families, the more composed families, are deeply dysfunctional and broken in many respects. Sin, brokenness, sadness, 
sufferings, those words are sometimes too familiar to us, aren't they? And just like with Hannah, sometimes we don't even know why God is making us go through this. It seems like God's blessings are very far away from us. And other times, like with Penina, we seem to be flourishing, and yet we are lacking exactly what we need. The love of God. The love of others. And it's not over yet. Look how the text paints this a very vivid image of Hannah's misery and how it lingers longer upon her story and her distress, as if the author wants us to walk closely with her through her suffering and experience it ourselves. Look at verses 3, and five, uh, three uh, through 5. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hovni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Despite the sin of polygamy, a cultural sin that is never condoned in the scriptures, Elkanah is not a wicked man. Did you hear that? He's an honest worshiper of the Lord. Now, how is that possible? Because the Bible, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, is not about perfect people. It's not a book of superheroes. That will be terrible indeed. No, the Bible is about imperfect sinners, sinners who despite their sinfulness and despite their brokenness, still they find favor before God because of Jesus Christ, the mediator. And so Elkanah is a sinner, yes, and a terrible one, but he's also a redeemed sinner, just like you and I, who believes in God's promises. And we see him in the text generously providing for his family so they too may come and worship the Lord. Both wives receive from him so they may, him, they may come closer to the Lord, so they may rejoice in his presence and feast before God. But even here, the stigma and the pain are present. Penina receives for her and her children. Hannah receives double. But even then, what she receives, she receives because of what she lacks. It's a reminder for her. You don't have children. Both Hannah and Penina both lack much. They lack a lot. And yet it's over Hannah that the story turns around. Why is that? Well, we will see that later. But in the meantime, here's the interesting part. It is explicitly said that it is the Lord our God who has a saying here. It is Him who has placed this stigma upon her. Isn't that interesting? Have you come to understand, congregation of the Lord, that all the situations, every single circumstance that we go through, is in God's hands. Whether what we are going through is because of our sin or because of no apparent reason, still the reality is that God is in control. And that is a comfort, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. If the ugliest of the situations that we find ourselves in, if the pain and sorrow and the sickness and our shortcomings are in God's hands, then that is good news. 
It means that God has some good purpose for it. It means that God has some good purpose for it. Have you thought on that? Have you realized of that? Our trials and tribulations, and yes, even the consequences of our own sins, all the time are being used by God in order to bring something good to our lives. Hannah may not have been thinking about it, but there may be a really good God-intended purposes for her barrenness. She just don't, doesn't get it yet. She doesn't see it yet. So let me ask you, what is it, congregation of the Lord, that you are going through? Suffering? Are you in distress? Have you seen your life situation and have you thought to yourself that you have no idea why this is happening? I've been there. Done that. Are you burdened and weary because you don't know what is going on? Have you considered that God may have a good purpose for it? But we don't see it, do we? Have you learned to rest in Christ? Have you learned to rest in Christ? Look at verses 7 and 8. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why you do not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than I had ten sons? See, this is why we need to read the scriptures between the lines and be clever readers. The Old Testament, from the surface, seems never to speak against polygamy. But it certainly let us see the problems that polygamy brings and the disaster that creates, doesn't it? And in doing so, the Bible shouts at us against it. Penina and Hannah, both girls, are at odds with each other. Year after year, Hannah has to endure her pain. Year after year, this feast is supposed to be a joy for her, and yet it has become bitter for her heart. There is a strife, there is disunity in the family because of this sin. Has sin damaged you, congregation? Have you come to church with a bitter heart? That's pretty normal. Have you prayed and prayed for years and years and years and there is no apparent solution? Have your heart's struggles become so painful, so hard, so difficult that you have no other thing to, leave, to do than to leave the sanctuary because you can't endure it anymore. You just need to cry because you can't bear it anymore. Have you walked with Hannah? Have you learned to walk in her path? Because the picture painted of her in the text is this picture of depression. Serious depression. I like a strength to live kind of depression. A shutting down of our whole systems so there is nothing else to do. No more joy, no more eating, no more drinking, nothing. Just sorrow, disgrace, lament, I want to die. And to make things worse, Elkanah 
His, her husband has zero empathy. So absorbed in himself, he thinks that he's the best thing that he, has he could happen to Hannah. Cheer up! You have me. Am I not the best thing that has happened to you? Am I not the greatest? So blind to her suffering, isn't it? Have you done the same though? Have you been blind to the suffering around you? Have you been so filled with yourself that you actually forgot about others? Has anyone entrusted you a burden and you decided to ignore it? Or worse, gossip about it? What do we do, brothers and sisters? What do we do when everything else fails? Where do we go when even the closest people that we love and cherish so much don't seem to get what we are going through? Do we pretend that everything is okay and that nothing is going to happen? But what if you are on the brink? What if you can bear it anymore? What if you have lost all of your life force and purpose like Hannah did? Where do you go then? What do you do? Well, I want you to look at our second point to find the answer to those questions. A desperate prayer. Look once again, verses 9 and 10. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Do you remember I asked you several minutes ago why the story is rotating around Hannah? Because the Lord our God, congregation of the Lord, delights, yes, delights in blessing and hearing those who are lowly and burdened. In fact, you may have realized of this already, but Hannah's story sounds pretty much like Rachel's and Sarah's back in Genesis, doesn't it? Pretty much the same. Three barren women who can do nothing about their situations. But that is the, precisely the point of the story. To show us that God doesn't work with those who have everything composed. Nor with those who have so many things to bring to the table. Nor God works with those who are powerful in themselves. You don't need God if you are powerful in yourself. If you can fight your own fights, you don't need God. That is why we need to watch Hannah closely, walk through her sorrow, follow her closely and learn from her example. Because her path is leading to a good place. Not of self-reliance, not to self-affirmation, not even to protest and trying to fix our problems ourselves, but to pour our hearts to the Lord in prayer, to surrender ourselves to Him. And see, when we do that, we will be in good places. Doubting? Yes. Sorrowing? Yes. Lamenting? Yes. Without the strength? Yes. About to die? Yes. But going to the Lord still. Listen to her prayer. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor excuse me, shall touch his head. 
Pay attention to her prayer. She does not hide from telling God how she feels like. This is a prayer of lament. Uh, she recognizes that she's broken, that there is nothing good on her, and she calls upon the Lord to remember her, which is a language for someone who feels forsaken, abandoned, and done. She also puts herself in the right place, though. She humbly requests from the Lord. She's a slave of God, one that expects everything from him and nothing from no one else. This is total submission to God, total surrender to him. And then she makes a promise. Then she makes a promise. She will dedicate the asked boy to the Lord. No self-gain here, no selfish ambitions, just an honest heart before the Lord. So when was the last time, congregation, that you prayed a prayer of lament? When was the last time that you were brutally honest with God? Because it seems to me that more often than not, that's what we need. We need a church that knows how to pray prayers of lament. Because sin is destroyer, destroying our society and we go, oh well, too bad. Marriage is crumbling all over the place and we act like nothing happens. Church suffering attacks from inside out, from the devil, everywhere. And we go, that's to be expected. Gossip, disunity, brokenness, suffering, and so on. And we go, that's just how people are. When will be enough? When will we come to God in our brokenness and lament what is going on in us and around us? When will be enough? When will be the time for lament, for humbling ourselves before the Lord to come as we are broken, needy, in discomfort, seeking his aid? Because the Lord our God in Jesus Christ, congregation, is a helper of the brokenhearted. Not of those who pretend everything is okay. Not of those who disguise themselves behind a mask or behind beautiful words. Everything around is broken and we should lament. Maybe it's time for us to learn from Hannah. Maybe it's time for us to learn to lament before the Lord. And that, that is always the place that we can bring our sorrows to. Our lament too. Because when we lament, we lament with hope. Hope in the God who hears our lament and is sovereign over everything. Hope in the God Almighty who can actually do something about our misery. Have you brought your lament to the Lord, congregation? Have you lamented before Him? Now, this prayer of lament leads us to our third point. A trusting heart. Look at verses 12 to 14. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Uh, so let me put it this way. Hannah, Hannah's husband, zero empathy. Penina likes to revile her. Her situation for years has not changed. And in a moment of anxiety, she comes to the Lord 
pours her heart in prayer. And what does the priest of the Lord say to her? An accusation. You are a worth for nothing woman. That's what he's saying. This is great, isn't it? And obviously I'm using sarcasm here. Uh, it, it's not great. It seems like the priest of God is just grabbing salt and rubbing it over her wound. It would have been very easy for Hannah to go, what's wrong with you? Or maybe go offended and attack back and revile Eli for the rude words that he's speaking. Are you stupid? What's wrong with you? I'm praying. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But you see, people on distress, people who pour, pour their hearts to the Lord are also normally people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So notice her answer. No, my Lord, I am not a woman troubled in the spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor a strong drink, but I have been pouring my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She pays insult with respect. She's not bursting out in anger, rather he show, she shows grace and self-control. And ironically, it's Eli now who is looking really, really bad, is he not? Well, Hannah is vindicated. In her response, Hannah is teaching us how to respond in a Christ-like manner. Learn the lesson, congregation. Just because we are attacked and reviled, it doesn't give us the right to respond in the same kind. No, we are to respond in Christ-like ways, just like Hannah is doing right here. Finally, look, to the, um, look how the text closes in hope. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And he said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Notice the point of the story. Uh, the point of the story is not the certainty and the assurance that God is going to do whatever she's asking from him. But actually, is to rest in the idea that whatever God does is going to be good. And so our hearts find rest from our vexation in Christ. Because whatever he is going to do is going to be good. And in the process, as we pray, as we come to him, he's also moving our hearts to his presence, to his will. Hannah is no longer concerned and no longer struggling. She has learned to place her, her hope in the Lord. Yes, congregation, this text shows us an image of brokenness, barrenness, and disaster. But see, all the time, every single moment, God is present in this story. He's right there. All the time, the Lord has been guiding this whole situation for the benefit of his people. And in that scheme of things, uh, even Hannah's suffering has a place for his good purpose. She came to the Lord empty, and there is no way she's going to live empty. And we will discover how the Lord fills her abundantly. But I want you to see the work of Jesus Christ in the background of this story. Because yes, Jesus is present in the story congregation. Because this story speaks about the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator between God and humanity, even in the Old Testament. Even there, he is present. 
His work of salvation encompasses from the beginning to the end of history, to the whole of redemptive history. And it is because of Jesus that Hannah's prayers are heard. It is because of the covenant of redemption is making its way through history, through Hannah, that her prayers don't fall to the ground. Now she belongs to God. Now she is heard. It is because of Jesus that her story of emptiness will be changed into one of fullness. Because this Jesus has been given for her. And this Jesus has been given for you. And in the same way, because of Jesus, despite our sin, brokenness, sadness, and the dire situations we find ourselves in, we actually have found life everlasting in Jesus Christ and we have found hope, have we not? Hope because we belong to his people. Hope of coming to his presence with boldness because we are welcome before the Father and we will be heard. So this morning, congregation, this is what we need to do. We need to lift our hearts to the Lord who in Jesus has acquired not only our redemption, but our right to come into his presence. And as we do so, let us pour our hearts to him in prayer. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And you know our sorrows. You know our laments. You know that we are not doing okay. More than once we have cried to you, Lord more times that we can count. And yet we come to you again because we know that there is only hope in you. So we pray that you may listen to our prayers. We pray that you may uh, bring relief to our souls. That just like Hannah, we may never be sad again for our situation because we have learned to rest in you. Help us to do that. Help us to rest in you because yes, you are a good God and you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.